And dear friends, dear congregation, I would ask you to please turn now your very prayerful attention to that passage of God's holy word that I read to you in your hearing there in Hebrews uh, chapter 7. Before we come to consider uh, some key verses here, particularly, I want to think of the words in the verse 16 concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, who is after the order of Melchizedek, the one who is described as having the power of an endless life. The power of an endless life. Let me read there verse 15, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude or the likeness of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. I want to think about that endless life. As you and I, we come to this part of the year. We come to the close of the year 2023. I wonder, first of all, what we have ever understood about the Savior. I wonder what we understand about the gospel. I wonder what we understand about Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of the Savior to come into the world. This time of the year that many call Christmas, we don't have a Christmas service as such because you won't find it in the Bible, but we want to preach Christ. We want to preach him and his incarnation. Now it is a great travesty, my friends, that many, when they present Jesus Christ at this time of year, they only preach one of his offices, and that is the office of king. But they neglect the great office of priest. The Lord Jesus Christ has three offices. He is prophet, we are told in this epistle to the Hebrews, prophet, because he tells us the future, and he seals up prophecy, as we will see. But he is also priest and he is king. And at this time of the year, when many preachers stand up to preach, they merely preach the office of king. Now, I'm not decrying that, but I'm saying if we only present Christ as king, we do the gospel a great travesty. We do great harm and despite to the gospel. And I hope to show you why. Because this office of priest is absolutely essential. Christ is now sat at the right hand of the majesty of God the Father, as both prophet, priest, and king, all three. And here in this person of Melchizedek, a figure of the Old Testament, we will see this man who just seems to appear out of nowhere and comes to Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of the faith. He is the only man in the Old Testament, as we read, that has neither beginning nor end. He just seems to come out of nowhere. We can't trace his line. We can't trace his lineage. And don't try to do that. It's a futile exercise, let me tell you, because you're given no clue of it in the Scripture. We're given this mysterious figure, and many have contemplated, is this an appearing of Jesus Christ? Well, we don't know. We simply know it is a figure and a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether he was a, a literal man or some other figure, we simply do not know. But it serves to be a purpose to point us to Jesus Christ. We say it's a futile exercise. 
But as we come here tonight to hear the gospel, let me say, many people and many even Christians try to enjoin themselves in this festive season and they completely neglect why the Lord Jesus Christ came. He came not just simply to be king, but to be a priest forever. And I mean, even when God's people enter heaven, he will still be the priest of him, of all of his people. My, yes, of course, they will be perfected, but they will only ever be there because of his shed blood and because of his righteousness. God's people will forever have an imputed righteousness. One thing we know, when a man sins, even in this world, and let's say he's a murderer, and he goes to prison, and in these days, of course, there's no such thing as capital punishment in this country. It used to be years ago, and a man would be put to death. But a man goes to prison today, and he does the time. We say the words, you do the crime, you serve the time, don't you? But what of the man after he leaves prison? Is he still a murderer? Of course he is. He's still a murderer, isn't he? And in a sense, while we will be perfected, God's people who enter heaven, they still have an old guilty record. And it is only this priest that removes, as it were, the bad record by his shed blood. And he gives to them his perfect spotless righteousness. Now the Lord Jesus, let me submit to you from Scripture, is prophet and I want to show you how he is the very last prophet. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of the Revelation, we are not to add anything to Scripture. In fact, the very last words of the book of the Revelation, we're told if any man adds to this book, not just the book of the Revelation, but to Scriptures, that the plagues of this book of the Bible will be added to him. There are no more prophecies, my friend. We're told... Are we not in Ephesians that the church of God is built, founded upon the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, Ephesians chapter 2. And Christ, if you just turn with me to the book of Daniel and the chapter 9, we're told how the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to see first of all, how he will seal up vision and prophecy, the future. In fact, we know that the book of the Revelation is written somewhere around 95, 98 AD. And the Lord Jesus Christ will have the final words of Scripture. And what are they? Lo, I come quickly. Suddenly. Daniel 9, 22. And here Daniel is seeing a vision. And we read, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understandeth the matter, and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, and upon thy holy city. And it's, by the way, it's 70 times 7, and that we know is 490 years. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. And that's when Christ would come to the world and to make reconciliation for iniquity, another word for sin, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. The Lord Jesus, my friends, lived a righteous life 
And he gives to his people his own righteousness. So he does two things. He takes away sin and he brings in an everlasting righteousness. He came under the law of God. Now notice, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and notice, and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. The Lord Jesus, at the end of his life, he would anoint the most holy. That is, he is the holy one, but he would enter into heaven itself. He would pass through the heavens and enter into the very presence of God. As we read in Hebrews, he went not into the tabernacle, but remember there upon the cross he cried, My Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And we read how the earthly tabernacle, the, the veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying that he had opened the way into the most holy of holies. And there he is. The word anoint would be that of a king. And the priest, a priest would be anointed, so would a king. And he is now anointed, both king and priest forever. He has entered into the most holy place. And then we're told, know therefore and understand. Notice that from the going forth to the commandment and to build Jerusalem, now notice unto the Messiah, and that's who the Lord Jesus is, the prince shall be seven weeks. And you come down to verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, not on his own account. And the people, of course, he would die for the sins of his people, wouldn't he? He'd be put to death for the sake of his people. And so we have this wonderful prophecy that the Messiah would be cut off. We have it in the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, that he was put to death and that he would ascend up to his throne in heaven. That's where he is now, you see. So he is prophet, and we read there how he seals up Scripture. And by the way, the book of the Revelation, written many years after John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, and so on, the Epistle to the Hebrews, written before even the destruction of Jerusalem. John was on the island of Patmos, we're told, there suffering for Christ the year somewhere around 95, 98 AD, and there's great persecution. And Christ brings the word by the angel to John on the island. And Christ says, you don't add anything now to my word. These are the things that will happen in the last days. And you know, we can open up the book of the Revelation and re read how wicked this world is going to be how there is going to be false teaching, how there's going to be a false church. You know, the Bible is tremendous. It's not going to end with global warming, but it's going to end with the coming of Jesus Christ upon the clouds of glory. And we're told that every eye will see him. Everyone. And the tribes of the earth will mourn. But there will be a great multitude which no man can number that will be saved from this present world. The Lord is coming. And we don't add to prophecy. We don't add to scripture. God has given his word. You know, when men tell you they've got a word from God, and that word does not comport with scripture, you must know that they are liars. If a man said he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and his word was not 
that which came to pass, the man was put to death. We are told by the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 that there shall be false prophets and false teachers in these last days. We must be very clear of that. And the Lord has given his word, and we thank God for that. We don't need to add anything to Scripture. Every time I step up into this pulpit, I must just simply preach the word. And don't we thank God for that? You don't need to, as it were, second-guess what this preacher is going to preach. I can't preach anything else but this word. When Paul addressed Timothy, he said, preach the word. He never said, look for another word, but preach the word. In season and out of season, preach the word. I pray tonight that I may preach the word, the word of Christ. But the second office is that a priest. He is priest. There are no, I don't know, of course, maybe you're an unbeliever here tonight. And you ask yourself, what's the difference? Why are there priests in the Old Testament, but no priests in the New Testament? It's very clear, because there is one high priest. When you turn, if you just turn with me quickly to Ephesians 4, we're told that the Apostle Paul, when he writes to, to the church there at Ephesus, and he, he gives us instruction as Christians, how the church is, is to function, and, and what happened when Christ ascended up, and he gave gifts to men. Remember that day of Pentecost? When uh, the church began to expand, uh, do we read anything of priests? Absolutely not. Now notice Ephesians 4.9. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He was put in the grave, wasn't he? Three days he was there. And then after that he rose again. And it, we read, and he that descended is the same also that he ascended. The same one that went into the tomb is the one that went up into glory. That's what Paul is saying. Up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now notice, when he ascended, he gave some to be apostles. The early church, and there were only 12 apostles, and some prophets. The early church had the the prophets that worked with the apostles until the scriptures, the canon of scripture was complete. And then we read that some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And you notice there's no priests there. Why? Because the priesthood is ended. Why? Because the sacrifice has been completed. That's the reason. So when uh, churches today say we have a priest, it's madness. They're going back to the Old Testament. It's ludicrous to suggest that you need a priest. The priest, his work in the Old Testament was to bring a lamb, to bring a sacrifice. And he entered once into the most holy of place and offered that lamb without spot, without blemish. But you know, when we read this epistle to the Hebrews now, Christ entered in as the priest and offered up himself. There was no animal sacrifice that could take away sins. We're told in chapter 10 that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, those things down through the millennia, through the Old Testament, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lambs and oxen, they could never take away sin. And David even spoke of that. 
Because David looked to the one that was to come. It would come from his family line. Even the Lord Jesus. So there are no more priests. Because there is a priest in heaven. There's a great high priest. You know, some use the term vicar. The word vicarious is one to go in the place of. You know, no earthly priest could go in the place of the Lord Jesus. No one could ever take the place of the Lord Jesus. It's ludicrous. Because they would have to offer as good a sacrifice as himself. What use is a priest offering up any sacrifice here in this world? It's an insult to God. So that's the second office. But then king. As I mentioned, people like to make much of Christ the king at this time of the year. And that's right. He is a king. He rules and reigns. But let me say, these two, these two offices, in fact three, are never separated in the Lord Jesus. Never. He is prophet because he is God. He tells us the future. He is priest because he intercedes for his people, but the priest would become the sacrifice because nothing on earth could ever pay for sins. It had to take something from heaven. And it had to take the God of heaven to come into this world and take to himself a body that he would never relinquish. You know, the, the Lord Jesus has taken to himself a body that he will never relinquish. Yes, it's a glorified body now, but he will never give up that body. When he was raised from the dead, he, he said to Thomas, come, touch, feel. It's my hand. Can you see the holes, Thomas? Touch my side. Same body, but a glorified Lord Jesus. And where is he? He's in heaven. And what is he doing? He's interceding as the king and the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we'll consider tonight this man, Melchizedek, a wonderful foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But firstly, before we come to that, let me just show you the beginning of this epistle in Hebrews chapter 1, and he is king. And this king is no ordinary man. As we thought this morning, we've been thinking about all the kings in the Old Testament and how they were all so deficient and so defunct. But this one is God. That's who Jesus is. He is the Lord Jesus Christ who is God. Look at Hebrews 1.8. But unto the Son, have a look there. Hebrews 1.8. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God. The Father said to the Son, thy throne, O God. You cannot deny that Jesus Christ is God. The Father calls him God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. It's tremendous. You come down to verse 13 of Hebrews 1. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? But he said that to the Son. It's a quotation there from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. 
The father said to the son, the Lord said to my Lord, David said. And then we read in that Psalm 110 about Melchizedek, who we will think about this evening. Now, without detraction from the office of king or prophet, we want to consider the Lord Jesus. If you look at verse 15 of chapter 7, he says here, and by the way here, Melchizedek in the Old Testament had two offices and never seen before again. We thought just a few weeks ago in Second Chronicles 26, how Uzziah went into the temple and tried to offer incense. King Uzziah tried to, do, to usurp the, the office of the, of the priest and God struck him with leprosy. He was never healed from it. And he died a terrible death. And he had to spend the rest of his days outside of Jerusalem in what we call a several house. And his son reigned in his stead all those years. What a judgment, what a warning it was. Now you notice there, verse 15, he's telling us here in chapter 7 of Melchizedek, who lived during the days, as we will think this evening very briefly, of Abraham. Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now Salem is the old name for Jerusalem. Did you know that? You can, in fact, you can see the word there, can't you? Salem. In fact, many years ago, this church used to be called Salem Baptist Church. We're now called Bethel Baptist Church. Simply means peace. You hear of Arabs even today saying, Salem. And they just mean peace. Or peace be upon you. And uh, that word, Salem. Jerusalem was meant to be a place of peace. And there is an everlasting Jerusalem. There is a Jerusalem above. And let me say, friends, that is a wonderful place of peace that will know no darkness, that one day will know no tears. Paul speaks of the Jerusalem above, which is the mother of us all. What does he mean? He means those that are born of the Spirit belong to that heavenly realm. And for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. That refers to Genesis chapter 14. And here we think tonight of this man, Melchizedek. In fact, one of the hymns that we sang was there, wasn't it? Speaking of Christ, Melchizedek. Now let me just say a few things as we come to this. The Apostle Paul here by the Holy Spirit is encouraging some of these early Hebrew Christians, the time is somewhere around late uh, 67, 68 AD, somewhere around there, just before the destruction of Jerusalem. And many of them are tending to want to go back because persecution is on the rise against believing Christians. And he is saying to them, don't go back to the old things. Because the old things of the Old Testament have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The things of the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the priesthood, everything. And he's saying that even Christ's priesthood is better than Aaron's. Better than Moses' leadership. He now even as a king is builder over his house. Now, if you just turn for a moment to chapter 5, the Apostle Paul there, he paused for a moment. Maybe there's some people here tonight, you've been a Christian for a long period of time, 
I want to ask you the question, what do you know about Melchizedek? Paul has to address them. The same question. If you look at Hebrews 5 verse 8, he starts to speak about Melchizedek. It was a figure of the Christ to come. And he says this, Hebrews 5 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Here, first of all, speaking of Christ, by the things which he suffered. Christ suffered, didn't he? During the days of his flesh. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Of course, because he's Lord, isn't he? Now notice. Hebrews 5 verse 10, called of God an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here's this ancient figure going back to Genesis 14. Both priest and king of Salem, of all Jerusalem. Now notice, of whom we have many things to say. He says that we, we, we apostles, we want to tell you so much about this Melchizedek. And notice what he says, and hard to be uttered, hard to explain. Seeing ye are dull of hearing, they become dull of hearing, that heard the truth, say that sat under the ministry of God's word, and they were just so used to, to just sitting there and not taking things in, going through the motions. seeing you are dull of hearing. Now notice, for the time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teaching God's word, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And ye are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He says you're like little spiritual infants. You ought to understand now who this mysterious figure is in the Old Testament. He says, how I long to tell you about this Melchizedek. But you're like little infants. You hardly come along to the preaching of God's word. You know, the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. And if we're not regularly hearing the word of God, you know, we... We become spiritually dwarfed and we can't understand things and we deprive our souls of real meat. Could you imagine a 40-year-old man sitting amongst us here? And he's tiny. He's only three foot tall. He's small. I'm not insulting anybody here, but I'm speaking here in the physical realm. The man's not eaten properly. All he's had to eat is milk, his mother's milk. All he's lived on is his mother's milk. And he's never had proper, solid, spiritual food. Paul says, this is what I'm saying. You've not understood these great and wonderful truths of God's word. The things that God had prophesied concerning the Lord Jesus who was to come. And there was a figure, he says, in an Old Testament you know nothing about. And you know nothing of what God was going to do in the fullness of time concerning his son. He says, you ought to be teachers by now, but you're not. So on that note, I want to come to Melchizedek. And maybe we've not really grasped who he is, but there are tremendous things we can feed our souls upon here tonight. 
concerning our Lord Jesus. We're not to feed upon Melchizedek, but the one who is the fulfillment of the office of both king and priest forever. There was a time when Melchizedek just suddenly appeared on the scene. And we're told in this chapter, if you look at chapter 7, this Melchizedek, who Abraham gave a tenth to all, remember Lot was snatched away. Remember Lot, well, there he was in, in, in the plains of Sodom, and these were seedy and terrible, wicked cities. And Lot was after a pleasure of the world and riches and everything else. And we remember how he was nearly destroyed, how his wife was destroyed, how he lost his sons-in-law and he just escaped with his two daughters. And he was kidnapped once. And Abraham had to rescue with about 300 men. Lot. And he came back from the battle. And there was Melchizedek. If you turn there with me, Genesis 14. And what do we have in that mysterious scene? One meets with him, king and priest of Salem. And this is a tremendous picture for us of our Lord Jesus Christ. This one whom Abraham gave tithes. Now, you'd give tithes to the priest in the Old Testament. And uh, we read here the close of chapter 14, how Abraham comes in. And uh, here, Abraham blesses him, gives thanks to him. We read of all that takes place. Now notice, read from uh, verse 16, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the woman also and the people. God gave Abraham victory. Because remember, God had promised to Abraham that he would have a seed as vast as the sands of the seashore. But it would be from the loins of Abraham. God would give Father Abraham a son in his old age, even at a hundred years old. And here is his nephew, I know it says brother here, but nephew Lot. Word here used as brother also, it's the same in that sense. And he brings back Lot, he rescues him. And the king of Sodom went out to meet after him, to return from the slaughter of Kerdalima, and of the kings that were with him, and the valley of Shava, and so on. And we read verse 18, and Melchizedek, verse 18, king of Salem brought forth bread and wine. And he was priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Bless the Most High God, which had delivered the enemies into thy land. And he gave him tithes of all. Notice, and the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. If I do, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abraham rich, and so on. We read here of this, both he is both a, 
We're told here, a king and a priest, this man Melchizedek, who has, as we read, no beginning or no end. We can't trace his lineage. Now we know the priesthood would come. Remember, Abraham would have a son, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then out of Jacob would he would have 12 sons, Levi. Of course, Levi was a murderer, him and his brother, Simeon. And yet God, in mercy, gave Levi and his sons the priesthood. The priesthood began, in fact, before Levi. And uh, we know that even Abraham, this is striking, that this insults many of the Jews even today. Abraham, there was a time he was not a Jew. He came from ancient Mesopotamia. And he received, we're told in Romans 4, this blessing, even before he was circumcised on the outward. God circumcised his heart. He was made a new man. And here this priest, Melchizedek, well, there were no Jews. But men began to call upon the name of the Lord way back in Genesis chapter 4, didn't he? God was saving men there. And the priesthood was in place. In fact, we could even go beyond that, before that. We are told that the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed, what did he do? He prepared for Adam and Eve skins of clothing to cover themselves. There was death right there in the garden to cover their nakedness and their shame. And that God even instituted there to, to Adam and Eve and to Cain and Abel how they should approach him. That it should be through the firstling of a lamb. But what is interesting here is that we have this king of Salem, and king of peace, we're told. If you look at chapter 2, chapter 7, verse 2, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being interpretation king of righteousness, Mel, meaning king, Zedek, meaning righteousness, and also king of Salem, king of peace, which is king of peace, without father, notice, without mother, without descent. Can't trace him. Now we know nothing more, and it's needless to speculate, isn't it? It's pointless to speculate, but he's a, he's a foreshadowing of him. He who is the ancient of days. And we could say this of the Lord Jesus, just like Melchizedek. We can't trace his father. We can't trace his mother. We can't trace his lineage, descent, having neither beginning of days. This is true of the Lord, the Lord Jesus who came into this world. He is called the Ancient of Days, who came into this world. There was a time when he never had a body. We read in John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. The Lord Jesus has no beginning and no end because he is God. And yet he came into this world, my friends, appeared in a mysterious and a wonderful way. 
We're told there in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that the virgin shall be with child, and he shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This is all prophesied in the scripture. And we see how this king, he comes with bread and wine. And we see at the end of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry, he brings the bread and he brings the wine and he says, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sins. Well, this Melchizedek, we're told how great he is, but how greater a one is after him. This one without father, without mother. Now consider verse 4 of chapter 7, how great this man was, even unto whom even the patriarch Abraham, Abraham gave tenth of the spoils. And then he goes on and he speaks about the Levitical priesthood, how that was after man. But who called this man to this priesthood? God did. And in the same way, Christ was appointed to this priesthood even before the world began. We're told in Scripture that he was the Lamb of God even, verily foreordained to be slaughtered before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? God, my friends, there's no such thing with God as a plan A, plan B, or anything like that. Everything is determined. God knew that this world would fall into sin, that Adam and Eve would fall. And therefore, right there in the garden, there was the wonderful promise of salvation that the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham and of the woman, that godly line would come into the world, that he would come from the loins of Father Abraham and he would bear the sins of many. And so this priest and king, Melchizedek, a great foreshadowing. Mel, meaning king. You remember when Pilate said to him, Art thou a king? He said, I am. We thought this morning, didn't we? How for that time after Hoshea died and was taken the very last king of Israel, 722 BC. There was no more king again for hundreds of years until Christ came into the world. No more king of Israel. The kings of Judah stopped in the year 586 BC. No more king. Until we read in Matthew chapter 2, the king was born in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? But he didn't come just to be a king, my friends. As I'm trying to tell you, he came to be a priest. That he would not offer up some lamb, some animal. Could that take away sin? That could never take away sin. We're told that he offered up himself. You remember how Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah. In fact, that's the very place where Christ was put to death. He took his son, his only son. And the Lord said, slay him. 
And then just as he was about to take and pierce his son, the Lord stopped him. Showed him a substitute. Well, my friends, here is the one who would come in the fullness of time. You see, nobody else was ever good enough to take away sin but Jesus Christ. The blood of bulls and goats we read can never take away sin. It's foolish to think those animals don't have a soul. And sins could never be transferred to them. But when he took the sin of his people, he was fully consciously aware of it. And even when he was offered gall, vinegar, fermented, meant to inebriate his senses, he refused. Why? Because he would have to consciously bear the sin of his people on the cross. Why? So that he would be their sacrifice. A lamb without spot, without blemish. Well, notice something else. There are a number of things concerning the Lord Jesus. In fact, even if you were to go earlier in this epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 6, we read there of how indeed many had fallen away who weren't true believers. But he says, we are persuaded better things of you, things that accompany salvation. And he says, and you have a better hope than those even who trusted in those sacrifices. Chapter 6, verse 18, we have a strong consolation. Who have fled to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor, the anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, which entereth into the, within the veil, that's where Christ has gone, whither the forerunner is entered even, Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6 and the verse 20. That's what Paul says. Those who have trusted in Christ lay hold upon him. In the Old Testament, the priest he would lay hold upon the sacrifice and conferring that the sins of the people being laid upon the animal sacrifice and some would lay hold upon it as their hope. Well, that's the Christian. We sing sometimes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What's your hope, my friend? My hope is in Jesus Christ, God's promised Son, who is a priest forever. You know, as a young boy, I grew up in the Catholic Church. And I think often I need to mention this. And they would say to you, you need to go and tell the priest your sins. You need to go and confess all your sins to the priest. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is one high priest. And it was once offered up once for all, for all of his people. And we don't walk into some confession box, but we approach the throne of grace. Because he sits 
in heaven as a high priest interceding. And what does he say? Father, I died for that one. Father, I shed my blood for that one. And the Father has to receive all that come unto him by him. We're told that he is able to save God. The Father is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. He cannot reject such a soul that pleads the merits and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus who wholly leans on Christ. You come as a sinner, my friend. You don't come as a good person. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know, sadly, it's, it's bizarre. What do the Jews have to say about Melchizedek? Not good things. If you read the Talmud, it says this about Melchizedek. You ask them why did the priesthood transfer from Melchizedek to the Levites? Do you know what the Talmud says? Because Melchizedek's ill-chosen speech. The priesthood was taken from him and given to the seed of Abraham forever. But my friend, Abraham was a liar. Abraham lied, we're told, at least twice. He was a sinner. Levi, was he any better? A murderer? Look at Aaron. Aaron the high priest. Soon as they cross into the land, what does he do? Makes a golden calf. And God has to slay thousands of people. And according to Rabbi Ishmael, these Jews, he says, Psalm 110 was spoken by God to Abraham at the time of his encounter with Melchizedek. When we read, the Lord said to my Lord. God wasn't speaking to Abraham. But Peter even quotes, doesn't he, on that day of Pentecost, of Christ. This Lord is the Lord Jesus. And it's ridiculous to think that when David wrote that psalm, Psalm 110 is by the pen of David. David was long after Abraham. It's madness. The Lord Jesus is that Lord. Paul here tells us that it was Christ he was speaking to. Christ who would come into the world and who would not just, you see, to be the king in glory, he had to be the priest. He had to live the life that his people never lived. To be their chief, to be their king, to be their eternal king. That's what he had to do. But let me say this, in order to be the priest, he had to be the lamb. The priest is no good without the lamb. Is he? What, what can the priest do without a, without a sacrifice? Nothing. But he had to become the lamb. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold, the lamb of God. That's who our Lord Jesus is, the Lamb of God. And we thank him 
I ask you, friend, as we close tonight, what's your hope of heaven? You see, a man must either be his own saviour, which is a futile exercise, or he must look to the saviour. Other religions tell you you can save yourself. By your good works, by your so many prayers, by this, by that, your so-called good life. My friend, nobody has lived a good life. The Bible says God looks down from heaven and sees that there are none righteous. No, not one. I could preach here for a thousand years in this pulpit, not earn me a millisecond in heaven. I'd be lost forever without my lamb, without my high priest, without my king, without my Lord. The Levites were not worthy at all. Far from it. It's madness, isn't it, when you look at the rabbinical laws, what they have to say. They make man something. What was Jacob? Supplanter. A liar. And could anything clean come out of Jacob? No. But I tell you what, one had to come from heaven like Melchizedek out of nowhere and step into time, space, and history and die for his people. And that's who we love. That's whom we serve. This Lord Jesus is far more than the Melchizedek, who is the shadow of good things to come. Do you know him? My, the Bible, you know, is a, is a tremendous book. And this might even seem a very vast and complex subject, but I tell you what, there's far more you've never discovered. There are riches to be found of Christ, my friend, in the Bible. And all of eternity, we will discover more and more the wonder of the glory of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. What are we doing with our time now? To get to know him and to love him. Will he say to you, my friend, as he will say to many, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, you get to know somebody you love. I don't know why men don't love Christ. Well, I do know in one sense they don't know him. And I often find this is the case. People say, I'm a Christian, and then you begin to ask them what they know about Christ. So little. And you wonder why they love him. So little. And I can promise you this. The more you get to know about Christ, the more you will see how lovely he really is. Amen.